Welcome to Basic Snitches. I'm Adam. I'm Tara. And y'all better be turning down the volume on your iPod or whatever. Because <laughs> we have Sarah Price with us. Hi, Yay! I'm Sarah. You may remember her from our Pops episode, but now you have to listen to her warble for the next <laughs> oh. <laughs> next couple episodes. She is a delight. She is a delight. She's I'm just, just a very little loud. loud. A little? You know. <laughs> We make fun of her because she's loud. It's fine. Which is good. I'm giggly, too. Oh, yeah, she is. And she's already a bit giggly. We already recorded one of our Patreon exclusives. We are also recording very early. I think this is the earliest we've ever recorded. I think so. Mm. Right now, it's about 11 a.m., but... Uh, it's also right after daylight savings time, so it doesn't feel like 11. That, too. Oh, my gosh. So, we are drinking mimosas. And yeah. we had mimosas before food, so... That's why she's giggly. Woo! Give us some information about you. Tell us about yourself. What's your Harry Potter origin story? So my mom's a teacher, and I started reading the books because my mom started reading the books for her classroom, and then was like, oh, Sarah, you should read these books. You'd really like them. I think I started reading maybe when the third book came out. I started back at the first one, but I think that's when it is. But I very distinctly remember when they were deciding to make the movies. We knew that they were putting out a call for actors, and I remember being, like, really sad that I didn't in England that I couldn't go to the open call to cast the movie. Like, I just remember being, like, really excited when they cast the movie and also really You would have been, like, salty. the exact right age. I know! I wanted to be Hermione! Oh, no. So I bad. Was, yeah, you would have been the yeah. loudest fucking Hermione ever. I right? know, but, like, you know, the crazy hair and, like, I was the epitome of, like, know-it-all awkwardness <laughs> in elementary schools. Yeah. In elementary yeah. school? A C. Um... <laughs> But yeah, so I just, I remember, yeah, it was right at, there we go. it was, everyone was exactly my age, and I just remember all of the hysteria, my friends and I waited in line when the movies came out to watch them at midnight, like the night that they opened, we went for the last couple books that had like the release parties and all of that fun stuff, fun. yeah, I'm a raven, well, I'm a ravenpuff, I'm technically a ravenclaw, but I am also very hufflepuffy. And I think the older I get, the more Hufflepuffy I get. I think that might be kind of a good standard because I feel like all of us, when we get older, we kind of soften around the edges, if you will. Yeah. I'm just like, super friendly and want to be friends with everyone. I mean, I still am very Ravenclaw. Like, I think about things a lot and all of that fun stuff, but, like curiosity and learning. And as I get older, I identify less and less with finding success in achievement. Like that was very much a part of me mm. when I was younger. And I kind of went through like a thing like in my 20s where I was like, I'm actually really stressed about defining myself by achievement level. And maybe that's not what's important to me in life. Maybe I actually value connections with other people more than achievement and that shift is kind of what I think has transitioned to be more into the Hufflepuff realm. I love that. That's a too. really good description. Very cool. With that, today we are discussing a chapter. Chapter 27, <laughs> the you. centaur and the smeeze. There we you. go. She did it for us because we were unprepared. <laughs> no, not ready, not ready. <laughs> we were like, oh yeah, we are discussing a chapter. And this week on our Patreon, we start off with a nice screen rant. Very apropos for this chapter in particular, and one of our most favorite characters that comes up in this chapter. This is also time for us to acknowledge all of our patrons. We have Ashley, Brian, Brittany, Layla, Mary Beth, Megan, Meredith, Nisi, Nicole, Olivia, and Raph. As always, thank you so much for your support. 
If you are not a Patreon member yet, this is a great time to sign up. We do have two extra tiers. So for $3, you can sign up for our Ya Basic tier. That's where you get exclusive content every single week, such as the screen rant that I mentioned, as well as being acknowledged in every single episode. At our $5 extra points tier, you get one free tarot reading from me per quarter, one extra mini monthly cutting room floor episode that will drop at the end of each month. So that's coming up here. And access to exclusive merch. And more on that in a second. Lastly, if you join our $10 Quend here, you will get a weekly blog that alternates between Tara and myself every week. And a mini episode called the Fishbowl episode. More on that on our Patreon. We actually just dropped our very first one this past week. It's really, really fun. As I mentioned a couple moments ago, merch. We do finally have merch as well. So if you go to basicsnitches.com, click the We Have Merch button in the menu or scroll down to the purple section, you will be able to click through to our merch microsite. Right now, it's a lot of our logo on shirts, coffee mugs, wine glasses, a whole bunch of other great stuff, but we will continue to add more and more. And of course, at that $5 tier, once we have that exclusive merch, those will be designs that only you will have access to and all of our other patrons. Not only that, but as you move up the tier rank, you also get all the perks from all the other tiers. So it builds upon itself. Join today at patreon.com slash basic snitches. The winner loser of chapter 26. Do you remember what happened? No. <laughs> what, was, what was chapter 26? Seeing and unforeseen. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So the loser is Umbridge. He loves to guess. It's like my favorite thing. And then the winner is Dumbledore? So it's a tie. Okay. Between Dumbledore and McGonagall. Okay. That, because I just love how McGonagall's like, nah. And she like uh, runs to her defense first. So. Cool. Yes. I love it. I'm like, Dumbledore getting a win in this book is interesting, but it makes sense for that chapter. Oh, yeah, I mean, Dumbledore does some badass shit in this yeah. book. Don't worry. Yeah. Sarah, you wrote a thing and Adam is going to I, read I it? I did write a thing. I'm going to read a thing. She is in the old school house of Jeff, who that also wrote by her, hand. her thing by hand. I don't write well when I type. Oh, see, I like to type because now I can edit it and I can make it dirty. I used a pencil. <laughs> <laughs> Well, she might be more Hufflepuffly, but she's still giving off that bitch Ravenclaw energy. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing that she wrote, and it is called Chapter 27, The Centaur and the Sneak. Trelawney's groupies are only a bit sad that she's been sacked because they are real excited about trying to impress that gorgeous Sagittarius. She said centaur, but it's a Sagittarius. <laughs> <laughs> that boring classroom is now a super cool forest, and everyone gets to lay back in Star Watch for divination class. Ferenzi low-key shades Trelawney and tells everyone that war is on the horizon, and also that humans aren't good at reading signs. Actually, he only taught them that no one really knows anything. Harry tries to give Hagrid a warning from Ferenzi since the centaurs, the, I'm sorry, the Sagittariuses are pissed. <laughs> He's moved into the castle, but Hagrid is in denial and not really worried about his job, just like all the other times. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Everyone is super stressed about owls. That cool DA group is the only thing Harry is living for. But wait, some curly-haired rando <laughs> tattled. To that pink bitch, thanks Dobby, and everyone has to make a run for it. Draco trips Harry, and the pink bitch can't stop smiling, 
because she thinks she got him expelled. Except good old Dumbledore takes the fall instead. Fudge is ecstatic, but that pink bitch is pissed. Dumble leaves in a cool, dramatic fashion after giving Harry a final plea to listen to Snape and stop having those mysterious dreams. Very nice. I like that thing. Very nice. I like how you call her pink bitch. Oh, well, yeah. My name for her is Pink Devil. Oh, you call her the Pink Devil? Pink Devil, yeah. Pink Devil in the White City. Very nice. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't Very know nice. if either of you are going to understand. Yeah. Right, right. Like, who else is that pink bitch going to refer to? Yeah, that's true. And Sarah wears her pink sweater. That's right. She came dressed for the occasion. Let's get into the chapter. Yes. Like you said, Lavender and Parvati, I think it's Parvati or Sahadma. Provide. She was literally like curling her eyelashes on her wand. How do you do that? How long are your I don't eyelashes? Know. Seriously. I don't know. Like, she, I have I long know. eyelashes, especially for a man, and yeah. I can't even imagine doing one of those like guillotine things. Yeah, I don't know. They sounded real excited <clears throat> to meet they, this, you know. The, yeah. the well, and Hermione was not like, impressed. Ro- low key, like, <laughs> what the fuck, Hermione? She's yeah. like, I don't really like horses. Right, Hermione, what the fuck? <laughs> and someone's like, oh, excuse me, that's Sagittarius. And she's like, oh, well, he has four legs. And I'm like, oh, okay, so all animals that have four legs are horses? Yeah, I think she was just like, I hate divination, and I'm always going to hate divination. Right. I don't care who it is. They're like, it's a bad look. The, it, I, the, I was. I was, I was like, really oh, Hermione. Meanwhile, you're like, free the house elves. But I don't care about those horses. Like, yikes. Yeah, that yeah. horse is going to roundhouse kick your ass. Mm-hmm. He already looks spicy. I like that Lavender and Pravardi went to see Trelawney, and I like that Harry yeah. asks how she's doing. Yeah. Like, these students are just good kids. I don't know. I was like, oh, yeah. that's so there's nice. Yeah, there, for sure. I feel like there's a lot of foreshadowing here at the beginning of this chapter, mm-hmm. too. You? Or references. It's not right. necessarily well, I mean, Hermione just flat out going, like, she's just started. Like, <laughs> just you wait. <laughs> this whole year, Hermione's just been, like, waiting and waiting and waiting for it to just get worse and worse and worse. Yeah, something's getting worse. The new classroom looks like a cupboard, which ties back, obviously, to Harry's past. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's more of a reference. And then the other one was Ferenzi abandoned by his herd for working for Dumble. Yeah, they actually imply that he was beat up by him. Yeah, yeah, yeah he has like a hoof. That he has a chest. bruise. Yeah, a hoof, hoof bruise. Yes, on his chest. Poor friends. That's okay. He's a spicy horse. So right. Well, I know. I was like, oh, you can see his chest. So now I understand why all the girls are like freaking out because it's like, oh, like this well, bare-chested I mean, man. Like, hey, he's, he's a Sagittarius. They don't wear shirts, do they? Well, I wear shirts. <laughs> Adam is quite clothed for this episode. It's very unusual. Ain't nobody want to see my titties. <laughs> what if all Sagittarius had big pendulous titties, though? Okay. Just something to think about. No, 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 I'm gonna think about it. Cool. Anyway, the forest sounded really cool. Like, I want a forest classroom. Yeah, the fact that they, like, transformed it in such a dramatic way, I mean, it says something about Hogwarts and magic in general. So right. That's, that's cool. I have a lot to say about what Ferenc I was like, I'm, I've been says. waiting for this. Mm-hmm. Yes. Cue the music. So Trelawney is looking at things from an actual predictable level, which that's not really what divination is necessarily about. It's supposed to give you guidance. It's not supposed to be all about predicting. 
Now, Trelawney, of course, is a seer, but seer and divination aren't necessarily the same thing either. Like, we've talked a lot about how some of Trelawney's explanations of divination is harmful because Mm -hmm. she always is like, you have it or you don't. But that's about the seer side of things, Mm -hmm. which I hadn't really separated them until I was reading this chapter because divination, I think, is also like a foundation divination helps you kind of like get centered before you do other magic it helps give you guidance on your other magic and stuff like that which is kind of more forensic's approach where he is looking at symbols and signs and actually they do smoke scrying here by burning like the sage and stuff which is very realistic he is making it more of a humanity rather than a hard like you got it or you don't mm-hmm. which i appreciate he does come off very harsh here we don't really know anything but Sure, we can all make guesses, which is really what divination kind of is. So, at the end of the day, Forenzia is kind of a better two. But can't uh, deny that Trelawney has style. She do have style. She do. I don't disagree with that statement of Friends being a better teacher, but I'm wondering if he's actually done much teaching in this particular lesson. I feel like probably, Mm -hmm. but I think he makes that really great point of being like, we can't know for sure, and this is what we do. Yeah, and then, like you said, Trelawney's becoming for more of a seer aspect. Friends is so completely different from any other teacher, and really only teaches us that basically no one knows anything, as I think how they word it. Knowledge isn't foolproof, which I think is almost maybe the most important thing to teach kids, that no one knows everything, and anyone who pretends like they always know everything, regardless of what people tell them, or, you know, like that pink bitch. Yeah. Probably well, wrong. Like science. <laughs> yeah. Science it's is a, fascinating a harder subject, of course, but it changes. Like as you right. learn more as about people it. right. As we unravel and learn more about things. The ability to acknowledge that, you know, there is always more to learn. And I mean, he is approaching it like an English class, like when you are analyzing a work of text or something like that, which I think makes a lot more sense here. Now, he's not perfect. Like, at one point, he's like, oh, Oh, I'm here to tell you about the Sagittarius way of doing things. Yeah, for sure. Which, (laughs) I don't know if that's, like, the best thing to do, because none of these other motherfuckers are Sagittariuses. Yeah. It's not without its flaws, but I think his approach to the subject is a lot better. And he's a lot less emotional than Tron. I just think it's interesting because it's so different from what the students are used to. Like, I love the part where, I think it's Pravati, like, raises her hand and it's like, ooh, yeah, like, I'm going to tell you all these things. Like, And then she's like, oh. (laughs) He just, like, shoots her down. His assessment of Mars, which Mars is what they brought up in the first book. Right. That's kind of been the trajectory that's been created for his character anyway. So, of course, they have to be like, oh, Mars... He does at least make it more of an overall, like, worldly prediction, whereas Trelawney's is more, like, personal. It's something like when Mars squares Saturn, you have to be extra cautious, whereas he is like, well, it's more about a global thing, the war coming up, which obviously makes a little bit more sense. Both of them aren't necessarily wrong, but one, I think kind of looks at it a little bit too personally. Friends even points out, like, that's kind of like astrology, right? The difference between astrology is maybe not the same thing. Like They also have a, well, no, it's astronomy class, not astrology class. They have astronomy. Because astronomy is just the study of the stars, not necessarily, like, the interpretation of them, right? Yeah, I took astronomy in college. Please question how the chocolate is. What? That's all. Please question have chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, Forenzi has this warning for Hagrid. Mm-hmm. 
the warning. Which just confuses Harry more. It does. It does. He's like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> so we do this because we're analyzing things, but Tara, this is about what? The giants? The grops? It's about the grops. It is about the grops. Were those Sagittarius helping get the grops under control? No, I think that they don't like the grops being there. Whatever Hagrid's trying to do, probably teach him how to speak and live in the world. I think that that's what he's talking about, yeah. is that this doesn't work. But friends can't go back to the forest now to tell him that, because yeah. other people will be rude to him. So that makes sense. Yeah. And then Harry tries to give Hagrid that, and... Like, it's fine. Oh, no, nice bloke, friends. But also, <laughs> you don't know what he's talking about, though. Right? <laughs> Hagrid and his, there are more important things than keeping a job. It's, you know, when you know everything that's going down and stuff, you're like, oh, he's not wrong, you yeah. know? Yeah. That's a good point, because <clears throat> I was about to say something like, in this book, he comes off very apathetic, and he doesn't heed any of the warnings, like any of the warnings about Pink Devil. Actually, it kind of makes his character at first seem very one-dimensional in comparison to other books. But you're totally right. When he said that, that kind of, like, perked my ears. Well, and if you think about the beginning of this book, everyone is preparing, but there has not been an active threat yet. You know it's there, but nothing has happened. Except Hagrid and Madame Maxime went to find the giants. They were out there doing the work. They've already put themselves in danger mm-hmm. over this. We hear that Lupin is underground looking for werewolves, so he's probably putting himself in danger. But at this point, the threat in front of them is the barring that the Ministry is putting in their way, not actively bad forces on top of them. So Hagrid is already like, we start this book, and Hagrid is in the midst of it, and everyone else is waiting for it. He is in a different place than everyone, and I literally was just thinking of that reading this chapter. He has all of this history in the last several months to back up why he's right. And so getting Grob out of there was important to him, not just because he's family, but because he's a being too. He needs to live, and he's also not ripping people's heads off. I guess he's doing that with some forest creatures for snacks, but you know, he's got to learn things. You know, until Mr. Weasley is hurt, it's kind of like, well, we're waiting for this, we're waiting for this, we're waiting for this. But Hagrid already went and did this. When you look at it from that perspective, it actually really does show how, like, the world outside of Hogwarts is really in preparation mode. Everything that's happening in Hogwarts and the control of the ministry is kind of that, like, filter on everything. What I've been saying for several chapters, too is we are getting closer and closer to a breaking point. You really start to see those signs. And I think you start to get even more of that with what happens at the end. Even rereading it and knowing what's going to happen at the end of the book, the scene that happens at the end of this chapter really does feel like, okay, something's going on. It doesn't feel as dire as if you're going in fresh. But I think that there are some of those hints in the text that show, okay, whatever happened there was supposed to happen that way. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm just really eager to look for all those cracks in the pink devil. Yeah. Do you guys find it interesting in that section where, like, Harry goes to talk to Hagrid that he's cleaning up shit? Oh, like, that's interesting. It, it's just, like, an interesting point, like, that she described. Like, it's a short interaction. The author describes that, like, oh, he's cleaning up gnarl droppings. And then it's even, like, oh, you know, go get going, whatever. And it's, like, Harry had no choice but to leave Hagrid mopping up the dung all over his floor. But he felt thoroughly dispirited. Like, yeah, it's like a sign. It's a little symbolic. I don't yeah. know. Like, maybe that he's kind of, like, doing all this, like, shitty grunt work, you know? Well, I mean, in here in a few chapters, every person that Harry would go to who is an adult in the building is gone. You have these little moments where, like, this interaction with Hagrid is nothing special or monumental. Then 
Hagrid is gone for the rest of the book. That's an interesting thing to think about. Mm. Yeah. It's such a little part of this chapter, but it's good because it kind of resets your expectations of the book. What is happening, it kind of pivots and shows that there's like a bigger picture. And then we go to data analysis. <laughs> I love this lesson, and it's so sad that this is the one where everything falls apart. Yeah. Because it's so good, and he's like excited because people are improving, because it's Seamus's first. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what I was just going to say. Now, he does say at one point, what we really need is a bogger. Would the Bruma requirement be able to provide that? I mean, a bogger is a creature, so maybe not, but I don't know. Like, that would be interesting. Yeah, I mean, it is a creature, but there was the moment where he's like, I really wish I had a whistle, and then the whistle pops up. Right. I mean, technically, I mean, this is more in the movie, but in the movie, it produces mistletoe, and mistletoe is a living creature. That's true. (laughs) Yeah. But the movie fucks up a lot, so we'll get there, obviously. Yeah. But yeah, it's all ruined. Well, let's not say ruined, but Dobby comes in and saves the fucking day. Aw, Dobby. Even the little nuances of him being like, I forbid you to hurt yourself. Real quick about the Patronuses, did you guys find it funny that, like, Show was like, oh, they're so pretty, and Harry's like, they're not supposed to be pretty. I mean, I don't know. I just thought that was fun. Yeah. No, I mean they are, but it was just like funny. It was like, no, they're just supposed to protect you. Like that just made me chuckle. Pretty, but he's been doing this for a minute. Yeah. He's not like a seasoned teacher. He's probably like, do I have to be in this like? Yeah. Teacher yeah. I think it's very much just kind of like the angst that he's been feeling all year, right? Like, it's like, oh, yay, like, we're finding joy in this moment of whatever. And he's like, guys, no, it's serious. Like, don't find joy yeah. in it. This isn't the same as if you really had to face it. Also, like, it's <laughs> very pretty important. and yeah. powerful at the same right. time. Right? No. Well, I mean, it's also important for him to reinforce that this, it is, is, different. this is all we can do right sure. now. Because it is different. Because that's been his, like, one stand for the whole thing. It's, I can only show you this much, but it's different. It's right. always different. Well, and I mean, it is fair because if you think about it from the other perspective like he's trying to prepare them like most of these kids have not experienced the same kind of substantial fear that he has yeah, in those pivotal moments of like no, no no like you don't understand yeah it's easy enough or maybe harder for you now but like it's really hard when things are actually scary right when he's trying to prepare them for that yeah. when they did their Bogart lesson with Lupin in year three and they're like oh it's a big snake or a big spider, which are fucking terrifying. That's different than seeing Cedric get murdered in front of you. Different than having the literal Dark Lord who's murdered so many people yeah. right there next to you. So yeah, I get that. Like, that he's just trying to reinforce to them. After Dobby, of course. Yes, Dobby. Mm. There, I have two questions about this whole being found out thing. Okay. One, there was no mention of Marietta not being there. There is not. There's a mention of Cho being there, and there's no mention of Marietta. Which I think is deliberate, that it was Cho that said it instead of Pavardi or something. I don't know, it would have been interesting to kind of see that a little bit more, but like you said, it's deliberate. Mm -hmm. And then, wouldn't they have been more safe? Again, the movie ruins this, but wouldn't it have been more safe to stay in the room of requirement? If you know about the room of requirement, that's one thing. But what you need from the room of requirement is another. Harry faces this in the sixth book. You have to know what it's being used for. Well, if Marietta told Umbridge that's what it's being used for, then she would be able to get in. Okay, this is also in the movie. but So the movie kind of does back itself up. But there's the scene where they know that someone's in the room of requirement, Filch and all the little motherfuckers, and they run into the door and it's a broom closet. Yeah. Right there, that disproves the book theory, but again, they're two different things. So then later, they blast through the wall, and that's how they get in. At this point, like, there's a panic to it. It's almost time for them to 
be in their beds anyway. Right, because it's also like, well, are they just going to go start checking people's rooms? Right, because if not they go there, now and they can get away, otherwise they're waiting and then now they're hiding in the room requirement and the bitches are hanging out in the seventh and floor And the guard just waiting, yeah. Yeah. At the same time, of course she could have changed this, but this is like going way too far. She can't get into the common rooms. So she wouldn't be able to check, and all of the prefects are there. That's true. So that. All of those people are, are at one point mentioned as being in the DA. Mm-hmm. So yeah. It is what it is. Yeah. I think that the key of her knowing about it, maybe that's the main thing. And it's reactionary. Like, there's a panic. Right. Dobby's like, Like, we've been found knows. out. We need to we've run. Been found out. We have yeah. to get out of here. Even if you are, like, taking the time to stop and think, she can't get in here. We're safe. But then she can get into the common room. She's a professor. You know, Professor McGonagall goes into Ravenclaw's common room in the seventh book. They can do that. They are the professors. Would she do that? Maybe. So maybe making sure that the Hufflepuffs and Ravenclaws and other Gryffindors are back in their common room as best as they can. Well, they can get in the common room, but it is like a gross invasion of privacy to go into like the dorm. Oh, yeah. Of course it is. Would she do it? Of course she would because she's the worst. But her goal is Harry. She's gunning for Harry this whole time. That's all she cares about. One other thought too, of course they're using the room of requirement for for data analysis. If they were to switch their intention and make their intention focusing on the fact that they need like a safe haven. Yeah, like just protecting them. Yeah, I wonder if then they would be protected from a bridge because now it's like this just a safe spot yeah that doesn't take into account her going and checking all the bedrooms and stuff right right we don't know how that magic works like if it can change because i think that they talk like it can't change while they're in there anyways enough of all this room requirement but it's so cool they all scatter harry gets dragged to dumble's office fucking pink devil is like squilling with glee and then this is another really strong double door moment. Oh, like the end of this chapter is so good. Yeah. I have to say, regarding McGonagall being there too, it's mm-hmm. so important because kind of movie, she's not there. But McGonagall, I feel like, is the one where Harry's like almost protesting. And I think it's McGonagall who tries to like shut him up or something, almost indicating like this is all part of the plan. Essentially what happens is they go in there. Marietta has sneak on her face. In like some crazy looking like blemishes, the like yeah, yeah purple pustules. Yeah. I think they call them. Yeah. Like yeah, because and it seems like they're getting worse or something. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And she's like hiding her face and stuff. And yeah, she's really upset. They're like asking Harry, you know, what's going on or whatever. And he gets the tiniest hint from Dumbledore. The tiniest, to tiniest. Say no, yeah, he doesn't. Yeah. And it's so it's Dumbledore that starts all of that. Yep. And then Harry just runs with it. He's just like, like, okay. I just gotta deny this. I, okay. I trust Dumbledore. Yeah. Because you know, he was ready to give like, like a yeah, defiant yes. It. What do you want to do and, about it? And then it was like, oh, wait. Dumble said not to. Okay, I'm running with it. Yeah, like, I'm yeah. gonna, yep, no, nope, yeah. I know nothing. <laughs> so that's another nice little hint there. The other thing then, and of course I wrote it down and then it solved it for me. Kingsley altered Oh yeah, Marietta's memory. memory. Kingsley is fucking brilliant there. Yes. And it's and like And it's interesting because you know something happened because you've got Harry's perspective and he like felt this and thought he heard this. I just thought that was really right. cool. Right, it's like her eyes just go blank. You're like, oh, was that? And the thing is, is that it was him and not Dumbledore that did 
did it. Uh-huh. Which is really great because her focus is on Dumble, Dumble and so Harry. Not, yeah. So they're not looking at Kingsley. Kingsley, who's on their side. Like, it's I think, real smart. I also think it's just cool because it shows, like, how well they, like, all work as a team. Harry just trusts Dumble. Right. And Kingsley's just like, I'm running with this. I'm going to protect Harry and yeah. protect Dumble. In the moment, they're all just protecting yeah. each yeah. other. And especially because Harry wasn't prepared for all this. He right. walks I into it having to do it. And I don't think that McGonagall or Kingsley knew... They knew we have to protect the plan for the Order of the Phoenix. I don't think that they knew about about all of this. Like, I don't, yeah. I mean, how would they? The way that this all came together spontaneously, like, it's not something that's, like, news news to them, like, brand new, but this is what we're doing, okay. Like, it's one of those things where, like, I vaguely know what's going on. I don't think that they were an intricate part of that. It's very Dumbledore. He's the one putting himself in danger at the end. I also like how for a minute before Dumbledore like actually accepts culpability for it, he plays the arrogant lawyer a little bit, like in a good way. Yeah. And is like, but, but really what evidence do you have? Like, okay, has this really been going on? Like, it's just funny, like the exchange back and forth. Fudge is like, so like, but, but, but no. And Ember's just like, but, but no. And then he's like, but really? What do you right. have on him? He's very, <laughs> yeah. very cool and like smug yeah. at the same time. It's yeah, has it really been going on for six months? Or yeah. like you really don't have evidence of that. Oh, you have evidence that they arranged a meeting. But when was that meeting? Two days before the decree that they couldn't have yeah. organizations. Oh, yeah. I just enjoyed that. It's very <laughs> at the end of the last chapter when Trelawney is let go and he comes in and he's like, uh-uh-uh, the headmaster is the one who gets to do this. Yeah. The other little thing, too, is when he does hex all of them and they all get kind of like knocked out for a minute. The fact that he also has to do it to Kingsley so mm-hmm. that there's no suspicion. Yeah. I think my one question is what caused Marietta to go to mm. Umbridge to reveal all of this? That's a good question. I mean, I think probably outright fear of her mom getting in trouble. Because I think in the next chapter, like, it's a little cruel that Harry's like, well, also Ron's dad works in ministry and this didn't happen. But it's right. Hermione said when she had everyone sign it, by signing this, you were agreeing to this. There was no trickery there in that regard. So I get it. Or maybe, like, she and Cho had a fight or yeah, like we all know didn't like the shirt it. Harry was wearing. Who the fuck knows? Yeah, I, like... I mean... Cho isn't the most grounded in this book. <laughs> right. You know. Yeah, they do make a significant mention, both Fudge in the interrogation and then also, like, later when Cho's, you know, talking to Harry yeah. about the mom working for the mystery. Like, I wonder, too, if almost, like, something accidentally came out. Like, her mom found out about it or something. Like, she was talking to her And then mom. she was like, you have and, to tell... Yeah, but if it was, like, something suspicious came out and her mom was like well I can't know this whereas like the difference is too is is like Arthur's part of the order right they I mean, know all this other stuff is going on they're doing all of this covert operations like for the greater good if she's just a regular freaking ministry employee that's a good point because I was even gonna mention like Susan Bones is there we met her mom at the ministry so it's, right. it's like it's not just Ron yeah, too yeah. that's true and, I mean Jane right, and there's and there's but... probably other students because apparently that's one of the only jobs you can have in the wizarding yeah. world <laughs> is working for the ministry in some sort. Yeah, you I know. think she like something slipped to her mom yeah. or something is what I wonder. Also, can we talk about the manhandling of the child? Oh my god! And I was like, this is where it sucks because, first of all, Kingsley and Dollish are in kind of the shittiest position there because they literally just watched a woman physically assaulting a student in front of the Minister of Magic 
who does nothing. Because yeah. she's literally just like, you're not giving me the answers I it want! Was... Give me the answers I want! Dumbledore's like, I'm not fucking having this. Like, this is bad. That's like the sign for everybody in the room that she shouldn't even be there. Like, right. she's gonna have to, like, right. resort to throttling students. Yeah, it's just like reason 510 how... That big bitch is literally just the epitome of emotional manipulation. Or just, like, in general, like, because, like, she's just all about manipulating people and the fear of getting people to give her her way. Like, ugh. But it's also, like, not the time or place to do anything about it because there's a literal war on the horizon. And Kingsley and Dolish are like, what can we do? The minister is not doing anything and we can't stand up against him right now because there's a bigger threat coming. Like, it's a whole lot at the very least, and I've said this in past chapters too, I guess I kind of mentioned it earlier too, every chapter I think there's more and more evidence that her time is coming. Yeah. You can only control things to this level so much before you start to see hairline fractures, <laughs> and they're getting deeper and deeper, uh-huh. and as we know, the grops is coming, baby. Hell Even though yes. the forensic is like, no, get that grops out of my hood. I mean, this final scene is very well done. I'm not, like, pro what Marietta did, but I'm glad that she had her memory modified or whatever for a moment because, like, she's being literally abused in that moment also. Right. Fucking Percy. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, because that bitch is there, too. Yeah, fuck him. We kind of touched on it, but Mega is very sassy, too. She is. She's also not having this. Yeah. And when Dumbledore hexes everyone, I really love that she protects Harry and Marietta. I love how Dumbledore's like, nah, you have to stay here. And that also, I think, was the moment that cemented that McGonagall had to be taken out. Umbridge is like, I gotta get rid of this one, too. McGonagall right, because is she's gonna stand up against the Minister of Magic yeah. to support Dumbledore. It's so interesting where it does take that turn where Dumbledore is like, Ashlyn, no, it was me, where he admits, well, he doesn't admit because we know it's not his fault, but where he kind of confesses to having this army, right? It's so funny because Fudge is like, yes, this is great because he doesn't really care about Harry. He's just obsessed with the fact that, you know, like... It's Dumbledore is... Right, and he's like, yes, this is even better than I anticipated. I have a way to take Dumbledore. Like, he's done. And then Umbridge is pissed because she's like, no, but Harry. (laughs) Right, at the end of the day, she's like, fuck, Harry is still here. They (laughs) just have their own, like, vendettas against different people. People who are not actually deserving of vendettas. Yeah. Right. At the end of the day, it's a good thing that they didn't call it the Defense Association, Joe. And then Phineas Nigellus with a banger oh, and yeah. sentence. You have to admit, Dumbledore's got style. Yeah. yeah. Which is such a great line for Phineas Nigellus. Like, how they changed it in the movie, fine, because I do love Kingsley and listening to that man's voice is just fine yes. with me. Phineas and his Seth. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm glad you Phineas is my favorite yeah. Slytherin, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I'm right here. Yeah. No, but, like, it is a really great exit. Oh, you think I'm going to go quietly, do you? <laughs> I put a bang I'm and smoke. I'm knock all your asses to the ground. Make and, bang and, and I do love that grab he... grab my fire chicken and get yeah. out of here. I do love that he did have, like, that quick moment to say goodbye and, like, attempt to try to give some instructions. Please do the supplements, you should. It's important. So, because Sarah is here and she hasn't had an opportunity, Uh-oh. we're going to do Fuck, Mary Kill. Oh. Oh, and this is going to be one of the hardest Fuck, Mary Kills we've ever done. Oh, no. Because we're going to do the three motherfuckers that we hate that oh, are God. at the end of this chapter. Fuck this. So, and marry this and kill this. Okay. So, Fuck, Mary Kill, Umbridge, Fudge, and Percy. <laughs> uh. Sarah, you go first. 
Okay. I mean. Ugh. What about a foursome? No. <laughs> no. Okay. So I feel like the only accurate answer to marry is Percy because I feel like I would kill myself if I married the other two. And I also feel like Percy, feel like I could dom him. Oh. He wants someone to be like in control. Like he just needs someone to be like, yes, good boy. Give him like positive reinforcement. Like I feel like I could control that shit. You, first of all, he is very easy to rip in half. But second of all, he doesn't like pussy. But he is a submissive enough that even that's if what I'm he saying. Like pussy, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. He's a submissive. I could get him into submission, and it would be fine. And we'd have a all you have to do is like twist his arm. Yeah, right. so we'd be fine. I mean, how do you not kill Umbridge? Like I don't. But like also, I don't want to fuck Fudge. Fudge No, I, mean, I, I still think I'd have to fuck Fudge because like I don't know where the answer is that I don't kill Umbridge. Yeah. Mine is the same answers, but here's the thing. I'm going to be selective and choose book two fudge. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay. That's fine. When he still sucks, but he's like yeah. less crazy. Yeah. Terrible. Also, um, sometimes people that are crazy are crazy in bed. Just saying. Like, it might be a good thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's right going to happen once, <laughs> and then he's going to be thrown yeah. out the window. Yeah, so. so it's fine. Yeah. We're going to do this in the North Tower so I can throw him out the window because that also sounds fun. As we already talked about on this podcast, Umbridge always dies. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's what's Glad we happen. agree on that. I'll but I'm going to fuck Percy, and I'm going to marry Fudge because I think that he has enough money and, like... Oh, that's true. There's no rule that you can't murder your spouse. In this game. In this game. <laughs> in, in real life, probably, but... You only get one free kill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to do actual work this next time. <laughs> yeah. In theory, like I already said, like you can rip Percy in half so easy that he would probably die too. So, win-win. Number one, the way that they get into the room of requirement. Which they actually get into, unlike yeah. the book. Yeah. Right, they just like blast a hole through the wall and like shatter the mirror? Like, what? Obviously there's not an opportunity for Dobby. To yeah, there's there, no Dobby. There's no Dobby in this movie. They basically like ram into the wall so the mirror shatters and then they blast the hole through it. She it, almost kills that little Nigel child. Yeah. The intimidating picture of like Umbridge and Filch and like all of these students like behind her like, Ooh, what are you doing in there? Which is very not what happens in the book, right? They all make a run for it and then Harry gets caught in the hallway by Draco doing like a tripping jinx or something on him. And then of course... The other big thing is that there's no Marietta in the movie, so it's Cho. Mm. And as we were watching, I think, Terry, you had said that it's the Veritas serum that makes so, it. So, yeah, it. later on, right before they all go to the ministry, I think, in the movie where she is like, Snape, give me, you know, whatever, give him the potion or whatever. And he says, you used the last of it on Miss Chang. So then we're not actually thinking of Cho as a villain. She literally was... Given Interrogated and then not given a choice, yeah. I at least appreciate that because I'm like, but Cho, one, didn't do it in the book, and two, that doesn't track. I also am just sad that we missed seeing Hermione's awesome jinx that she put on with, like, the sneak in the... Yeah. Flash forward back to the actual book. Fudge, how very dare you be like, <gasps> you're a disgustingly ugly child. Like, that's how he reacts to her. Like, yeah. no wonder she's terrified and upset. The Minister yeah. of Magic just saw your face and gasped like you're a fucking yep. swamp creature. Like, I was like, you're horrible. Although I, mean, I do enjoy... It shows very much that they have no 
business doing anything with children. Oh, definitely. Correct. Sorry. Yeah. No, that's okay. And I was like, I also do enjoy that Embridge has to admit that she hasn't found an antidote, like an anti drinks for yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, and so Harry's good. like, yeah, that's right, Hermione. Yeah. <laughs> In his head. But yeah. Yep. And then once they get into the office... Mm -hmm. First of all, the interaction is very short in the movie. In the book, it's like a whole, like, interrogation that happens. There's a little bit more of, like, a back and forth on, like, Harry and then Dumbledore, like, switching it up. Mm -hmm. Dawlish is there, like we talked about. Like, we can't see Dillis Derwent or any other, Right, we can't have any of the portraits. Yeah, none of the portraits. You know, McGonagall's not there. And Percy wasn't there. Oh, no, Percy was there. Was he? I missed him. Yeah, like this robotic and his like nose was in the air. It was very because I was like I'm yeah. gonna punch him in the face. It was very yeah. random that they have him in this movie only to not have him be in the next movie where I feel like he would be more important in the yeah. next movie. And then they don't even give him his fucking character arc at the end of the fucking seventh movie. So yeah. they can fuck off these movies. Then the other thing at the very very end is something that you touched on, and I'm glad you brought up Phineas Nagellus. Well done. Because. It's Kingsley's line here, which is interesting because everyone always mentions this line in particular when talking about the series, that it's like Kingsley saying that Dumbledore has got style. But in the book, it's not Kingsley. Right, right. It's not a huge killer for me because I do enjoy him. It is cool to see how Double gets swept up with the Phoenix Flames and everything. But it is a truth because like everyone just sees that. He doesn't like have that moment with McGonagall and Harry, right, obviously, where he like hexes everyone first. It's just that quick thing. I mean, it's still a cool exit. It's- yeah. But it's not quite as... I want to see yeah. Umbridge get knocked out. Well, that's, and I, well that's okay. We'll see her right. get knocked out. And because, like, afterwards, people are like, whoa, that was so cool, you know? We do see it later, but I want to see it happen multiple times. All the time. I give so many points. So or many take points. Away so many points. First of all, plus would be Dumbledore and McGonagall. I don't think I ever need to go into much of that. They saved the day at the end. Plus 20 to Kingsley, Dobby, Ferenzi, Fox... Adabi for warning, Kingsley mm-hmm. for being there and being like the backup and changing Mary to his memory. Yep. Fox, obviously, for helping out Forenzi because he's Sagittarius. Plus five to Seamus and Phineas. Phineas for being the sassy portrait. Sassy portrait. Phineas. And Seamus for finally coming to his first meeting, even though it kind of sucked. Negative ten to Marietta. And then also, we didn't really mention this, but Willie Wittenshins, who is the toilet motherfucker. Oh, yeah. Like, what's with the toilets in this fucking book? This Willie guy has been a theme throughout this book. They keep bringing up the guy who's blowing up toilets, and they finally catch him, and then they pardon him for giving this information. Like, it shows how, like, weak the legislation right. and stuff is. McGuck calls them out. She sure does. Yeah. And so do the portraits, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There was one, it was, um... I was like, we never did this in my day. It was someone that... <laughs> We brought up, I think, in that one Patreon exclusive about headmasters or something. Yeah. Negative 20 to Draco and Pansy, negative 50 to Percy, and negative 150 to both Fudge and Pink Devil. Mm-hmm. I have a rule that every time I take points away from Pink Devil, it's got to be a of 50 being taken. But I think since I did that rule, it's been at least 100 because she's just so fucking awful. <laughs> Next time, we will be discussing chapter 28. Snape's worst memory. And Sarah will be here again. Yay! Again, she's going to continue to drink coffee. Make sure that you turn down that volume. Wow. Be- <laughs> <laughs> and there you go. That's, that's Sarah's sign-off for this episode. We'll see you next time. Farewell. Bye! <laughs>
Basic Snitches is recorded and produced by Adam Bowers and Tara Gorkery. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice and share us with all your other friends who love Harry Potter and getting drunk. Yes. Join our social media pages. Facebook, Instagram. I never update Twitter, but we have that. We do. Also email basicsnitches at gmail.com. We also now have a website, basicsnitches.com. And a Patreon, patreon.com slash basicsnitches. Join today and get exclusive content every week and be acknowledged in every single one of our episodes. Taryn Telegra, dance bitch. I see you new friends who don't make me dance for nothing. Yeah, they ain't gonna come, honey. We out! <laughs>